Welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. We are glad to have you join us today. And I have a very special guest coming coming from you direct from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Brian Hedges, welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. Hello, Susan. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you. Have you. I, I met you oddly through a, a very interesting way. <laughs> through rocks. We went from, we went, rocks. Rocks, rocks, rock, you know. So my my friend, uh, Heidi, Heidi Lee Holt, she's an amazing woman. Uh, this is a lady, long red fingernails, who used to drive trucks and build roads, right? And then she decided to do something ladylike, like becoming a miner. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She, uh, she goes out and digs in the dirt and then refers people that, that want to do music. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, life is interesting. So I um, I went online and listened to some of your music. I really love what you're doing. I mean, I absolutely love uh, your music. Uh, we're going to play a song when we go to when we go to break, uh, you know, today, so that uh, other people can hear it. And what's interesting, it's it's uh, down from Telluride, and I think I think it's fascinating to me because you know I'm doing another project called Gold Ghosts and Geronimo. So you know your song about uh, going to Colorado to mine gold fit right in. It <laughs> does. Other thing, yeah. Like, <laughs> but without knowing that, that was what was so cool about it. So. Um, well, we're probably more we're probably more inbred than what we want to admit as far as all of us that, that you know, do the same type of music, the same type of rocks and the same type of, of things, because it's just a creative like mind. And we're all brothers and sisters in this realm. So that's true. And they they say, you know, rock hounds, if you take your bag of marbles and every time you find a rock you like, you leave a marble. And as soon as you lose all your marbles, you become a rock hound. <laughs> Well, lucky for me, I make marbles, so I'm never oh, out. Okay. I'm never out. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. That's really interesting. Marbles are interesting, too. So are spears and, you know, and all the other things that you can do with stones. Um, but I, I I love that Heidi, uh, is, in her mind, there's almost 100 different minerals that have been identified in the county in New Mexico where her mines are. Uh, that's a lot of minerals in a small space. It is, and it's amazing. I mean, I, I know you've seen a lot of her uh, her photos of some of the things that she's she's trying to go ahead and, and uh, allow the public to, to purchase. Because normally, a lot of most rock hounds are are nuts. They don't want to part with anything because they find it and they love it so much. It's just, mine, you know, mine, exactly. Oh, mine. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is the perfect specimen. I don't want to get rid of it. So she's actually opened it up to people to to purchase and and. Those, those minerals that she has found are just amazing. And, and that's what got she and I uh, conversing in the first place is, is I'm over in, I'm actually, you said Nashville, but I've moved to over uh, towards Knoxville now up in the mountains. And so I'm right on the, on the North Carolina and uh, Tennessee line. And wow. so we get into that where there's gold mines and there's emeralds and there's, there's garnets and there's rubies and there's sapphires and all these things in these mountain ranges. So, so do you uh, go digging? Any chance I can. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So, so I got kinfolk buried in Tennessee. Does that count? <laughs> sure. I mean, what we do is, you know, over here we don't really leave our marbles behind. What we do is we just leave the <laughs> we just leave the bodies. Um, we try to dig a big enough hole, you can hide anything. So. Yeah, Nathan Bedford Forrest is one of my ancestors. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. you've heard of him. Um, 
now I I want to do a disclaimer before everybody jumps on me about the Ku Klux Klan. He divorced his name from it when it became a terrorist organization. So you get your history straight. Well, that's that's the problem is people actually need to know history. Yes, he was he was the first wizard of the KKK, but it was not what it ended up becoming. No, and it did. You're no. right. He distanced himself from it. But uh, he, All he uh, wanted to do is protect people's homes that were being stolen from them. Sure. So it's it's you know history is one of those things that gets rewritten several yeah, times a oh day. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. So and that's and that's interesting. And speaking of writing, you are a prolific songwriter. Well, I don't know if prolific is the proper word. Uh, I'm you write a lot like of songs. I, I'm kind of like a rock hound. I don't want to part with them, so I just keep writing them. Um, <laughs> probably about two thousand now in a catalog. So uh, you know, well, two thousand. Most people would consider prolific. <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll yield to you on that one and say okay. We're, Prolific songwriter. <laughs> so you um, you grew up, you were born and grew up in a, in a state where I've lived before, Oklahoma. Yes, ma'am. And uh, it was interesting to me because when we lived in Oklahoma, we lived in one of the more, oh, let's say, uh, forward-thinking areas of Oklahoma, not Enid. Um, <laughs> we're, we, we are not that backwards in Enid. We really aren't. <laughs> I just live with you. You know that—that's how we Southern girls talk to the boys. Sometimes. Yeah, that—that that really always bowls us over. <laughs> yeah, but we we do it with with batting our eyes at the yeah. same time. So it, you know, I learned a long I learned a long time ago not to look at the girls when they're batting their eyes because I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead in the road right there. I'm just roadkill. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you grew up in Norman, is where you or where you? Well, I didn't grow up there. I lived there um, after I was married and had children. And all and the, we could only get along. We couldn't get along with white people at all. All our friends were Comanche. So right, right. Well, <laughs> my you know, daughter we, uh, still friends with uh, with the girl. They were like in preschool together. They were the four year olds, and they were called the frogs. And they're, and, <laughs> and they're still good friends. I'll, I'll low these many years later. <laughs> Well, you you find the, that friend or you find that person, and that doesn't ever change. No matter no matter what you decide to do politically or or where you move with a job or a family or anything else, that that blood is is a lot thicker. So. That's right, and and those friendships, if they're real friendships, they stay, you know, and that's and, they do. and that's a good thing. And I think that that's one of the reasons I like country and western music. My brother always says I listen to both kinds of music, country and western. <laughs> well, and that's that's one of the things that, you know, country and Western was was thrown together uh, back pretty much in the in the 40s is when it, it right. became popular. Um, the, the two are kind of the same and completely different. It depends exactly. on what. Exactly. Yeah, depends, you know, Western swing music of Texas and, and Oklahoma. Um, and and everything. Yes, ma'am. Uh, that was all basically the same as what you were listening to at the same time that was big band you may have you may have four trumpets and, and six trombones and that was in a that was a western swing band that was that was doing yep. that stuff and the only difference was some of the phrasing of what they were doing and the fact that they just said let's just have a good time and the more alcohol that was involved the more it became popular <laughs> the better the time the better <laughs> I always said that, you know, the, the more my audience drank, the better I sounded. And I, I think that's probably true with most anybody that's ever played by Chicken Wire. Um, <laughs> and if you 
I want to tell my audience who's there's a lot of people in Seattle. They've never been in a honky tonk. They've never been in a place where the band. Seriously, I have been in that bar mm-hmm. where the band is protected by chicken wire. Yeah, bottles are thrown. Yeah, there's there's places that you would go into years ago that you would actually um, hope and pray that the chicken wire was a very fine mesh because. <laughs> If it was a wider mesh, those bottles would still get through there with the glass when it would break. So you'd you'd always pray that it was a tighter, you know, guinea wire was no good at all. You had no, to have no. you'd have to have chick wire. Chick wire was great because it was a finer mesh, and the chances of shrouds of, of, of glass coming into your eye were, were less. You just basically played four sets of, of music with your eyes closed. Um, you know. yeah. and, and prayed for the best. Well, we didn't have any kind of supplemental insurance at that time, so we had to go. Remember, for they did that in the Blues Brothers movie. They did. They parodied that exactly. Yeah. You'll love this little sideline here. Uh, you know, they're playing uh, uh, the song from uh, Roundup. Hey, uh, how'd yeah. that go? Rawhide. Rawhide. Uh huh. You know who sang that? Frankie Lane sang. That was that. Frankie Lane. Yes, ma'am. Guess who was engaged to him before she met my father? <laughs> well, I would. I would guess your mother. <laughs> I'm psychic that way. (laughs) Yeah, my mother and Frankie Lane were engaged. They got thrown out of a nightclub for playing the same song on the box 36 times. (laughs) And that's just irony. Again, you never know who you're going to meet or whatever else. I was engaged to Frankie Lane. So, I mean, it's really, it's amazing. (laughs) You do get around. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Does your wife know about this? <laughs> Unfortunately, my wife tries to know very little about me because <laughs> I, I just confuse her. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody says, "How do you put up with him?" And she just shakes her head. So it, it works. <laughs> yeah. So well, we're not going to go into that very fully because we <laughs> might find things we don't want to know. <laughs> so you talk about red dirt music. I really think that that's a, a, a beautiful phrase because. Having been having spent time in Oklahoma, really Oklahoma gets really downgraded. I used to always say, well, on their license plates, they say Oklahoma is okay. That's the best they can do, you know. Right. <laughs> but it's really a beautiful state. There, there is it a is. lot going on in that state, and uh, and red dirt is one of the things that is tied to Oklahoma. Well, you get red dirt other places too. You get it in Georgia. You can get it in Arizona. You, but still, red dirt music. You talk about that being used in film and television. Well, I mean, a lot of your, the stuff that you listen to, if you're actually listening to a, the soundtrack of a film and you're listening to all that stuff in the background, all the instrumentation, it's got, mm-hmm. it's got a dobro and it's got like fiddle and it's got, got a banjo. It's got, you know, it's got a juice harp. It's got all these things in there. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of a cool sound. Well, that, that basically is what came out of the red dirt scene. Uh, you had these guys like J.J. Kale. You had these guys like uh, Leon Russell. Um, these guys were sitting there in Oklahoma and they didn't have a pot to pee in. And they, they were trying to come up with sounds and they just did what they wanted to do. And, you know, they'd drink a few, they'd smoke a few and they'd write a few. And yeah, yes. they'd throw it against the wall and see if it stick. And if it didn't, they just wrote something else. And that is exactly where the red dirt scene came from. Red dirt represents primarily came from the Stillwater, Oklahoma area around Oklahoma State University, because all of these bands, all of these guys, I mean, as, as recent as guys like Garth Brooks and some of those guys, they cut their teeth in Stillwater. They got started playing on the campus and off campus at these clubs. Well, going back prior to Garth 20 years, 
um, we had these guys that were sitting there doing this stuff and we couldn't find any place to, to get music heard. We couldn't get uh, anyone that, that gave a damn about that sound as far as radio was concerned. So what they did is they just went ahead and uh, started putting it in film because it was such a cool bridge on the backside of everything. And people identify with it. Exactly. If you, and if I you don't listen care to, what their background is, you, it sings, literally sings to your soul. Yeah. It, and, and it takes you on a journey whether you want to go or not. And you don't yeah. even realize that you'd be watching this John Wayne movie and in the background you're hearing this song and you're thinking, wow, that's such a cool song. It's synonymous with a Wayne film, but it came out of the Red Dirt scene because it was something that, that Hollywood wasn't producing. It was these guys that were, that were putting their heart and soul into this music and just giving it out to the public and not making a dime off of it. It wasn't until years later that it actually got some sort of a, of a stronghold to where people were. And, and today they're out there touring right now, uh, playing like a red dirt sound, but the Texas music scene, the outlaw music scene, Waylon and Willie. Willie. I went to the yeah. first uh, Willie Nelson 4th of July picnic. Yeah. Well, that's, that was I mean, historical. Those guys, half of them were Texas guys, half of them were Oklahoma guys at Willie's picnic. Mm -hmm. And what they were was, the Texas music scene, the, the outlaw scene, and the red dirt scene, that's what that is all about. So when you when you start talking about real music to us, we don't have a Red River dividing Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, we're all from the same cut. And, you know, we're basically farmers, ranchers, cowboys, cowgirls, and we just all go out and play music on Friday and Saturday night. And so that's what became the heart of this music sound. And it actually transposed over into Nashville for a very short period of time before they, they changed where they wanted to go with it. And they now before they New Yorkitized Nashville. Yes, yes ma'am. They, they brought some outside sources in that have changed things. And that's why guys like myself and several others are no longer in Nashville. Uh, I don't, I don't despise the town. I don't despise the industry, but I'd rather do my own thing. And so we're in the hills of Tennessee doing that. Well, I looked on your website at some of your ref references, and it was um, the one that was um, independent writers and recorders. What, what, what? I've got uh, probably International Singer Songwriters Association. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, ma'am. And great organization that was uh, actually started by a friend of mine, Tammany Dove, and. and uh, her mama was in the music business in Nashville back when it was it was a great business and and uh, Tammany's out of Atlanta area down there in Georgia and this thing like, from from what I know right now I think it's around fifteen thousand members around uh -huh. the world it is growing by leaps and bounds because everybody is just so tired of what they're being fed as far as music and pap, so they're creating pap. art they've been fed pap it's boring. That's why any music that comes along, I, I honestly, I like everything from rap to classical. Mm -hmm. Good music, no matter what genre, genre it is, is good music. Of course. And people that are musicians, that are really authentic musicians, they play all kinds of music. Sure. My granddad used to tour the country playing big band and, and polka music. And he taught me, gosh, I bet I was two years old, three years old, maybe. He taught me there's the Duke Ellington philosophy. There's only two types of music, good music and bad music. Exactly. And so I grew up in that same environment. I didn't care if we were on stage playing something, somebody came up and requested it. It's like, you know, drop a little money in the tip jar, we'll do it. And it didn't make any difference what it was. Uh, because oh, yeah. it, I, I would, I would, okay, I'll tell you a story. I shouldn't tell on the air, but I will anyway. Um, I was a topless dancer at one point in time. 
Me too. Yeah, <laughs> you liar. <laughs> You just try to keep up. So anyway, anyway. I honestly don't think I could. <laughs> Nobody would watch. I mean, that's, <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, time to not insult the guest. <laughs> so uh, this guy, there was one of our regular customers, and he was being tra- uh, transferred uh, out of uh, Austin. This was in Austin, Texas, and he was being transferred uh, up to New York. And he asked me if I would dance to the theme from Tommy. Now that's about, I don't know, an eight minute song, something like that. It's long and it changes throughout. Literally, I got a standing ovation. Well, you should have because <laughs> just for having the guts to do it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a strenuous job anyway, but to do it for eight minutes solid or or however long, you might as well have done El Paso. If you're going to do that, that was 16 minutes. <laughs> Let's get impressive. <laughs> Let's do some Don't. Marty Robbins in a strip club. <laughs> Don't give me any ideas. <laughs> there aren't any more bars like that anymore. On way different. <laughs> well, I, I know we we sound like our our parents and and everything we start talking about. Well, it's just not like that anymore. But it's not. Um, it's not. It's not. That was fun. The fun. They used to think our bartender stood on a box until he came around the, the front of the bar. <laughs> oh, he is a big guy. <laughs> well, I was talking to a kid today from back in my hometown, and they were playing this club, and and uh, you know we mentioned chicken wire, but. Uh, I asked him, I said, where is this, this bar? And he, he said, well, it's such and such. And I said, well, that used to be, um, the guy's name was Puss Himes. So anyway, uh-huh. it was Puss's Red Barn. And it had nothing to do with uh-huh. anything, you know, as far as the anatomy of anything. It was right, just the right, 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 right. Um, but anyway, we played in the corner that was about four foot by five foot. In a, in a, that was the bandstand. Yes, ma'am. On that bandstand, on a raised elevated stage behind chicken wire. And we had to put the whole band back there. Well, at that time we had like eight members. Now you talk about coming out of the closet. Every time we took a break, we were sweating trying to get outside just to breathe. And, but I told him, I said, you guys have no idea what it used to be like because they showed a video that they've released and they had the whole end of that bar that they were set up in. It's like, no, no, no. You know, the drum kit, you know, the Tom, drum that's where we were (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so So that's great so you know what you are an interesting person i i've started looking up stuff my mama used to say that an awful lot yeah but she meant it differently (laughs) (laughs) yes she did she used to say that my sister was the pretty one my brother was the smart one and brian was the special one so, Special. Did you ride the little bus, Brian? No. <laughs> couldn't keep up with it. <laughs> Ta-da. So, Get lost inside of it. So, <laughs> yeah. But you had a good time. Did. So um, I really like the fact that you called Red Dirt Music uh, the people's music because it is, and that's what country, what people miss about country music is that's, that touches people where they live. Right. Uh, there are some songs that that just you know people just remember. Why why do why did every I mean everybody loved certain songs and they spread through outside of country. You know, right. Dolly Parton's uh, you know I will always love you. Right. Uh, Chris Stapleton's Tennessee whiskey. Whiskey. Yeah. You know, 
I mean, these songs touch us somewhere. We don't even know what, why. We don't know right. why, but we like it. Right. You know. Well, and, and that's the thing is if you go to any club across this country, I don't care if you, you start in the tip of Florida or you go all the way up to Seattle. Yeah, you're going to have these clubs that specialize in, in different genres of music. But if you just go to your neighborhood bar, uh, if they have a live band and you walk up to that band and say, could you play Patsy Cline crazy? Could you play uh, Waylon Jennings, a good hearted woman? Could you play? They're going to play it. Okay. They, already, they, they know it they like know the back them. of their hand. Yes. Yeah. And nobody right now, if you walked up in a bar, if you said, can you play WAP? Would they play it? No. And it's like one, nobody understands why that's number one in the country right now. <laughs> but when you have a, and, and I'm not knocking R and B. I'm not knocking rap. No, I'm not no. knocking any. I'm not talking about urban music. I'm, I love. I'm like you. There's no bad music. I love all of it. But that is a slap in the face to every artist and writer in the world that has ever tried to convey a message without just coming out saying you know nasty stuff. There's no uh, subtlety. There's That's no subtlety. It. And I try to explain that to people. The difference between the Naked Bar, the pole dancers now, and strip tease is it was the tease. Exactly. You're interested in. And exactly. that is so much more scintillating than naked. Naked isn't scintillating. It's like, okay, you're naked. So, you know, nobody cares. But if no. you if you do if you're subtle, if you, you do that, that's intriguing. And yes. that's what we like. Our minds are, are our greatest turn on is our mind. Oh, exactly. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to in, inspire and motivate. And, and that's what that's what the striptease used to be that you're referring to. Right. Is it got those fellows all excited and sent them home. And that's why we had a population boom. Now, <laughs> now with what you're talking about going on and everything else, there is nothing left it's to the not. imagination. So yeah. when the music is the same way, if nothing's left to the imagination, then nobody's going back home and writing anything imaginary out of their mind. That is where well, music comes from. I love Van Zant. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. The, the music. The, uh, the same thing with Seven Spanish Angels. I mm-hmm. love that song. It makes me cry, you know. Right. Fernando. I, You know, that's another one, you know. You know. I would do the same again, my friend Fernando. I mean, you know, yeah. there's just certain. But, but when you mention somebody like 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 Towns, how many people in this day and age, they may know the music, but they don't know the, the, the writer. And these guys like Towns and Guy Clark and these guys that were were sitting around, just honing in on something that none of us probably at the time, if we were all together, had I been born earlier, uh, say. 20 years earlier, I probably would have left Oklahoma and gone out to uh, Laurel Canyon. I probably would have been out in that, that area with those guys. Um, I would have, I would have probably bypassed around through Austin, some of those guys. Um, but you just, there's a sense of music when you feel it and you, you, you convey that, that heart and soul onto paper and onto that instrument that you're playing. And then it comes through on the recording to the audience that's listening for it. They live it. And once they live it, we're all in the same song. We're on the same story. So you just made a three minute movie and everybody's got a part. Well, your song down from Telluride, which we're going to play going to the break does that for me. I, I thank you because it tells me a story. 
and it does it in a way that I'm inside of it. Well, thank you. And that's what it's supposed to do. That's what yes, it's supposed to do. But that's what good music does. It took and me 25 years to get that song written. I, I started that when I was 12 years old out in, we were in Colorado. Really? Yeah, we were out in Colorado. It was only like the only vacation we ever took when I was a kid. And the uh, alternator went out the car. So we we rode the car dead sticked all the way down into into Silverton, Colorado. And uh, so all day while the, while the car was in the shop getting an alternator, these old cowboys would come in with their horse trailers and everything else in this little garage. And they'd say, well, I just came down from Telluride today and blah, blah, blah. And down from Telluride at 12, I tucked away in the back of my head. I thought that was the coolest phrase. And so all through the years in Nashville and everything else, I'd say, you know, we get into a writing session, co-writing session. I'd say, I got this song idea. It's down from Telluride. I want to make it like this historical epic piece about this guy that goes looking for gold and he doesn't make it back. And, and she's waiting for him. They're like, I don't get it. It was always, I don't get it. And so it never got written until finally I just wrote it 25 years later and, and said to hell with everybody. And yeah, they, uh, if they don't get it, that's their problem. No, And it's, it's the number one song request of any song that I've ever written. Anytime I ever play out or anything else, that's what they want. I love that song. So we're going to take a short break. Okay. And when we come back with uh, Brian Hedges, we're going to talk more about his songs and something else that I'm very interested in, the Country Music Hall of Fame. Five years you worked there and manager of the Museum Services. I am so fascinated by this, the people you met, the things you did. You are a fascinating uh, person, and I want to know more. So stay tuned to Susan Harmon Experience. Said he's going to Colorado Where he heard that they found gold He said he'd bring back lots of money Said he'd love her when they're old Well she begged him please don't You're invited to Returning to the One, an all-cultural retreat stemming from the single thread that traveled the four directions and now unifies. Through energy work with fire, water, earth, and air, both individually and in group, the five participants will evolve. Reserve space for early bird discounts because space is truly limited to five participants. This retreat takes place in sunny Arizona during January for a four-day in-resort setting with private pools. Email Susan at SusanHarmon.com for more information. That's Susan at SusanHarmon.com. Walter Pollan, author of the book Evolution of the Spirit and the Freeware Astrology Program, Astrolog, offers an amazing tool specially designed for the spiritual seeker. The Labyrinth Oracle is an easy-to-use divination card deck to help guide one through the twists and turns of the maze of life. This deck comes with 109 unique cards with detailed interpretations for each card. Purchase options include a sparkly line drawstring bag and a wood box to store your deck. The Labyrinth Oracle was created by a brother and sister team. Walter designed the system and his sister Kathy brought the cards to life with colorful illustrations. To get your copy, visit astrolog.org oracle.htm. 
Thinking of giving something special and unique to someone who is special and unique for winter solstice or Christmas? Contact Susan for that one-of-a-kind Christmas gift of a personalized healing wand or talisman or even a bottle of sacred water or Tones of Light CD. A gift certificate can be used for a stone, a session, a mediumship, or an intuitive counseling session. Call or email today, 206-853-5225 or email Susan at SusanHarmon.com. That's Susan at SusanHarmon.com for details. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomes psychic medium Carol Bromley, or as we like to call her, our Christmas Carol, and she will be giving spirit messages. On Saturday, Josie Varga returns with great stories of afterlife communications from her books, Visits from Heaven and Visits to Heaven. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. To meet the challenges of travel in these times, Susan Harmon has developed a new way of working that she's calling a bi-locality session. You can relax in your own home while Susan is in her healing room laying stones on the massage table and connecting with you via phone from her healing pyramid. She drums tones while you feel what is taking place as though you were both in the same location. It's really quite amazing how well it works. Call 206-853-5225 or email susan at susanharmon.com to set up your appointment. Seattle, Tacoma, Antwerp? That's right. We're streamed worldwide on our app and on the web at 1150kknw.com. They say the winter took him. He caught a fever and he died. no one waiting for him anymore to come down from Telluride. Welcome back to Susan Harmon Experience. I'm here with Brian Hedges, songwriter, singer, red dirt music guy, and he was manager of museum services country music hall of fame for five years. That sounds fascinating, Brian. Tell me a little bit about that coolest gig ever it was like uh i just happened into the job uh i was actually going to work for bmi in their licensing department and uh they were going to get back to me and in the meantime it's like i had to eat so i went next door to bmi and there was the old country music hall of fame uh, down on music row in nashville and and i uh talked to them and they they hired me as an assistant manager in the gift shop and so i worked my way from the gift shop into the accounting department, then into the special projects department, and then in manager museum services. And kind of took a little squirrely route. I, I did, but I, <laughs> I got to I got to have a blast because so many of the people that so many of them that are gone now. I mean, uh, the stories that I could tell if, if it wasn't, you know, that we don't want to say too much on the air about certain people. Uh, Merle Haggard, <laughs> George Jones. Buck Owens, you know, Johnny Cash, the people that are still with us that I got to work with, Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton. I was Dolly's escort the night she was inducted into the Country News Hall of Fame. Loretta, I've known Loretta forever, and I've been out to her ranch many times and and have written out there and done songwriting festivals at her place. And um, and Brenda Lee was one of my best friends. It's just, it's amazing because this kid from Oklahoma, I used to, used to drive a cage tractor that had a, a radio bolted to the fender and 
you know, you'd, you'd go out there at five o'clock in the morning, come in at, at 10 o'clock at night. And all the company you had all day long was this radio. And I was so blessed that when I went to work with the Hall of Fame, it just upped the ante as far as who I got to work with. And I would say probably 90% of the people that I heard on that radio, I got to work with later on in my life. And such a blessing because, like I said, so many of them are gone now. Uh, I was I was one of the persons that was uh, there and lobbied heavily for Elvis Presley to go into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Um, there were there were many people that I mean, I I got Charlie Pride inducted to the Country Music Hall of Fame. You know, I had to get him up there because he didn't want to come from Texas to go up there and and uh, have anything to do down. with it. Mm-hmm. And so I got him up there and and. Uh, just had to lie to him. Uh, he, <laughs> I mean, I did. He and his wife, Rosine, and myself and his manager, the three of us knew about it, but we couldn't pass it along to Charlie. We wanted to surprise him. And so, you know, just those things, the, the people that are iconic in the music industry and, and not just country artists. I mean, people that I toured through the Hall of Fame were, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali. Uh, you know, oh, I met his, I just recently met his second wife, the mother of four of his kids. He was such a class act. He really was. Uh, and I know I know things were starting to uh, deteriorate a little bit. However, the man was sharp in conversation at that time uh, and respected so much of the history of music. Uh, you know, he was a Kentucky boy. So, I mean, you know, when you're sitting there talking about uh, where stuff came from, he knew all about bluegrass. He knew all about country music. Uh, that's what he listened to on the radio growing up. So I mean, well, that's what it, rock and roll is—is is oh, blues yeah. and country, blues yeah. and country coming together. It's a rock, rockabilly, and then rock and roll. Yeah, there's so little difference between mm-hmm. the the realms of gospel, bluegrass, blues, country, and then you start formatting. You know, bringing some of the, the upbeat, a little bit of backbeat on everything else that became country rock, and and then you have southern rock, and it's still nothing but upbeat country. Uh, you know, all of these things are just just all part of the same family. Um, and, and even r and I mean, you, you talk to the guys that really truly knew music. Um, they played country just like the rest of them. I mean, little Richard yeah. played country. Uh, Ike, Ike Turner played country. I mean, these guys that started uh, what became popular uh, R&B music, um, they, they were country guys too. Uh, Cause that's all that was available to them. And so, you know, it formatted everybody and they, they learned how to play guitar. I mean, Jimi Hendrix learned how to play guitar, you know, playing country songs. And, and so it's just uh, if you really strip it all down and say, you know, what is the history of, of popular music in America? You just say, yeah, I mean, that's the history of it. it and that's that's what I love about Red Dirt music is because it's still that same way. It's like, you know, it, it's like, well, this this, you know, this is kind of like such and such, but it really doesn't fit into this. It's like, OK, I don't care. Play it. And yeah. that's what that's what it's all about. It's music. If it makes you, it, it Bonnie Raitt, you know, I would say, oh God, this woman Bonnie Raitt, and people go, who? Yeah. But she's been playing for years before, Forever. you know. Forever. Yeah, but she was the ultimate musician, amazing yeah. woman. But yes. every other musician wanted to play with her. Yeah. Well, I mean, they recognized it. That was the thing. I mean, these guys were sitting around just somebody would be sitting there watching somebody else play and, and be like, man, you just, you're awesome. You know, and, and, yeah. some, and, and that's what happened there for a while in country music in Nashville through the, through the, probably the late eighties, early nineties. 
so much of the red dirt stuff, so many of the artists out of Oklahoma and Texas moved to Nashville. And when they did, they all grouped together, had the, had the agreement, handshakes. Handshakes were really important at that time. And that I was always the- say, seriously, if your handshake's no good, I don't care what you have in writing because some fancy ass lawyer can uh, change it. But if your handshake is what you count on. Paper, paper burns, handshakes bleed. So I'd rather have a handshake any day of the week. But these people all came in and they would tell each other, if I ever get signed, if I ever get a deal, I'm taking you with me. I'm going to help. And everybody did that. They helped each other get where they were at. So that's why we had the Reba McIntyres and the Vince Gills and the Garth Brooks and the Toby Keats and, and, and Ronnie Dunn and all these people that were helping each other get in there. So the same thing happened in Laurel Canyon and everything back in the 60s and, and early 70s when we had Linda Ronstadt out there playing music and her band was the Stone Ponies and those guys were the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all they were. They just they just left her and they, they agreed. You know, they sat down and she goes, you guys are too good for me. You guys need to go ahead and do your thing. And she supported them. That's why she went ahead and sang Desperado years later that they wrote. Um, I mean... Well, what people don't understand in show business, you meet the same people coming down that you met going up. How'd you yes, treat them? How'd you yes, treat ma'am. them? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, the best, and best, that way in life, only people don't get it. Yeah. You know, the best advice I ever heard was Johnny Cash. And he said that everybody out there is my employer. Everybody that listens to my songs, everybody that buys a record, everybody that goes to a concert, everybody that meets me on the street and asks me for an autograph. They are my employer. I work for them. Once I forget who my employer is, it's time to retire. And that is exactly what it's about is, like you said, on your way up, yes, you can sit there and you can screw the pooch all you want to and be as nasty as you want to be. And then it will come back to bite you. It will bite you Mm -hmm. because if you, if you treat people right on your way up and you need help on the way, when you're coming back down, you need help. They'll get you back up there again. But if you were a jerk, if you were a turd, they're not going to do anything for you. And that's, that's the way it should be. So uh, it, it should be that way in life. We should just be, I mean, seriously, life is complicated. People try to make it. Well, um, you know, it, when it's you, really not. It's not. When you start dividing lines in the sand and, and categorizing as far as if you start categorizing color, if you start categorizing a political party, if you start categorizing uh, sexual preference, if you start categorizing uh, anything, it's it's the same as, yes, you spent time in Oklahoma, but, you know, you could easily say, well, he's from Oklahoma. I'm not going to talk to him because, you know, I'm from, I'm from such and such. Well, we yeah, did exactly. that. We've done that before. We, we divided the line through the United States and said, okay, we're going to go to battle because you're from here and I'm from here. And we know good and well that, that families were, destroyed because brothers fought against each brother because this one believed one way this one believed the other way. I think it's time for us to put all that mindset to bed. I think we need to realize that we are all people. I think you need to, I think you need to write a new song, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always writing. I I think I want an anthem. Damn it. I want want music to go with this movie. (laughs) Well, we just need to make a movie. <laughs> yeah, let's just make a movie. Well, that's what we're going. Uh, that's actually what I'm going to uh, do. I'm like several movies. One, one uh, more of a docudrama, and uh, another screenplay I wrote, which is uh, about uh, my my partner, Alda Sherwood, and I wrote it. Well, I'd had it in notes for years, and it took us four years to get 
to to get it finished and it's uh it's about the 60s and the, and the present time and uh it's about marijuana it's about smuggling i was a smuggler back in the day and so the the, the couple who are grandparents at the beginning of the movie they're smuggling marijuana into a red state where it's illegal to have any kind of even medical marijuana to help their friend who's on chemo for his cancer <laughs> and it's a it's a road trip you know things so it's yeah and they go back and forth in time in the movie so anyway it's a good movie i think and uh, you know it's like a hallmark movie but with drugs so yeah it's it's way beyond a hallmark <laughs> movie <laughs> don't you insult me like that <laughs> i'm teasing you it's okay fair. turn around this fair play <laughs> i know yeah and you own the program so <laughs> <laughs> Cut this out, Eric. <laughs> okay, so no, no, I'm just teasing you. You know that. I worked, uh, you said I worked as an artist liaison and uh, handled most all interactions with any and all VIPs. So you, you, music and history, two passions. And yeah. I just think that, isn't it great when your life works out? I mean, you had to do accounting for a little bit to get there, but you got to where you wanted to be and you got to meet the people and do the things you wanted to do. And man, if that's a good life. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm still, I mean, if you were to see my bookcases here, they're full of nothing but, but history books and music books. And, and I, I love both. And I got, I was blessed to be a part of that for that period of time, but it still carries with me to this day. There's people that know, my background. There's people that, that knew me from there. Um, and when there's somebody that comes along, that's, uh, you know, someone from maybe my hometown or someone that heard about me through Facebook or something else, they're like, could I send you some songs? Could we talk about, you know, if I'm any good or whatever? I still do that. I still work with everybody. And, and it's not that, and I've, I've never ever in my life with any person I've ever helped, have I ever taken a, a publishing or a dime or anything? I don't want that. I help them get their publishing set up to, to protect themselves. Um, it's a learning experience. And the, the thing, unfortunately, is once they started calling it the music business, once it became a business, it no longer became a, a passionate love affair. Um, some people love the business side of it, the aspect of it. Um, but uh, I still love the creativity of it, the, the, the fact that people can uh, sit down with a piece of paper and, and an instrument, a guitar, piano, whatever, and five minutes ago, this thing didn't exist. And now you have something, like you said a moment ago, an anthem something that uh knock on heaven's door or we have a yeah. we have a happy birthday we have a you know a white christmas we have all these things that didn't exist until somebody sat down and created them mm-hmm. and that's where the the legal aspect of it really chaps my butt yeah somebody owns a happy birthday that didn't write it well, no, it's 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 public domain now, but I mean, there are there are writers that are identified as who who wrote it. But like now, we we are lobbying with Congress on a daily basis. Right now, you can write a song, and it can be played 15, 20 million times on a stream, and you'll make after fifteen to twenty streams, you'll make about a thousand to two thousand dollars on the mm-hmm. whole thing after that many streams. Your your percentage is like point zero zero one one one. It's like so small that you don't even see it. Uh, the last year, I think I claimed 37 cents in royalties. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's impossible to make a living uh, in this unless you do get into film and television. They do pay residuals there. But 
as far as what's played on the radio, as far as what's streamed, it's just it's just a losing proposition. So, and that's Congress's fault. Everything else has changed, and this country needs to realize that when someone creates something, it's it's like I've said before. If I if I were to come to you, it, for instance, someone in Congress, they're an attorney. Let's say they're an attorney that's sitting right now in our legislature. If I were to go to them and say, hey, you want to do everything you do pro bono. You don't make a dime on anything you ever do as an attorney. Well, I can't do that. I can't afford that. Uh, bingo. Well, well, what do you think I can afford? Yeah, bingo. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. You want every songwriter to do it for free. And that's where it needs to stop. And I, honestly, it's not so easy to write a song. Now, I, I did want to, and it couldn't be made into a song. It's a long poem. I wrote one poem that I never changed a single word in. Mm-hmm. One out of my whole life. Right. You know, that doesn't happen because you, you know, you're like, okay, wait a minute. No, no, no. What's what, 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 what rhymes with dime? I don't know. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, of course. And you spend sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes years um, mm-hmm. trying to put something together that you're happy with. And then after you do that, especially in the song way of doing things when you write this song and you you pitch it to somebody and and somebody listens to it they're saying that's cool but i I would change this and this and this it's like you ass i just spent years to get to this point and i'm not saying every song i write is is phenomenal it's not my gosh out of two thousand songs i probably have maybe a hundred that are worth a darn Um, monochrome i saw this movie last night monochrome i was watching it on 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 netflix and it's Ed Harris, who I think is a highly underrated actor. Oh, phenomenal actor. And, yeah. and he's, he's really wonderful. And it's Just Breathe is singing it. And it's uh, Willie's son is doing the, the recording by himself. And Lucas. What? Lucas Nelson. Yes, Lucas. And the, well, he has a bunch of kids, I know. Yeah, but, Lucas uh, is, is pretty much out there as an artist now. So yeah. Yes, he is. And there, there's a, a on, um, yeah, oh, shoot. Um, video with Lucas and Willie singing Just Breathe and uh-huh. driving in a car. And I just, I play that thing quite often. I think it's wonderful. And then I saw it in the movie last night and I said, well, that was a good movie for that to be in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and Willie, let's just, let's just take somebody like Willie or Christopher or someone, which, you know, one of my idols as far as a writer has always been Chris Christopher's an amazing writer but you listen to Chris sing and you listen to Willie sing and you look at it well Chris was a good looking guy but you know Willie never was pretty no uh, Will, Willie never could sing real pretty Chris can't carry a tune uh Dylan can't carry a tune um <laughs> well he can't speak English so <laughs> what what Bob uh but anyway did you ever hear Joan Bias imitate Bob Dylan. I never heard Joan do it now. I that guess she was, was amazing. You can find that. It's hysterical. She's really got him down. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I was going to say is it doesn't have to do with what happened now. And you know, it's like the song, you know, Video Killed the Radio Star. Um, once that happened, and it was all about the, the video and all about the imaging and everything. We lost all of the true talent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I would, you, you're talking about Elvis a minute ago. He couldn't hit the high notes. He couldn't hit the low notes. But my daughter is a little toddler. He'd come on the radio and she'd go, Elvis, Elvis. Oh, yeah. You know, you knew his voice and it did something. Yes. Yes. And it, it didn't have to be perfect. 
It had to be perfect for the song. Emotional. When you when you melded that person together with that music of whatever that song was, um, you know, yes, Johnny Cash had Sunday Morning Coming Down. It was an amazing rendition of it. But if you really want to hear it, listen to Chris's version. Chris's he wrote version. It. Oh, God. Chris saying that, it's like, man, yeah, that's a hangover, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's what happened was, I mean, yeah, everybody's like, well, it's talking about, you know, well, he's, he's, uh, let's see. I clean this dirty shirt. I love that. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Poetry. That is sheer poetry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and unless you've lived it, unless you've <laughs> slept on a floor with an extra jacket to cover you for a blanket, mm-hmm. you don't get what that means until you realize that, man, he woke up stoned, completely right. off his gourd, and right. he is he is now coming out of it, and coming down. Somebody's cooking Sunday chicken. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Kid kicking a can. It's like, my God, he saw and heard everything. And you know, damn good and well, Chris wrote that walking down music row, just walking along there and picking up on everything like a magnet. And that's where we need to get back to. And that's That's why I love those. That's creativity. Yes. That's why I love what we call a storyteller. And that's why you said WAP is it's, it, it doesn't leave anything to the imagination. It doesn't, exactly. it doesn't make you feel anything. No. You know, no. so. Um, you can, you can grind on the dance floor, but hell, anybody can grind. You know, give me something that's going to make you get out on the dance floor and halfway through the song, you stop dancing and you start crying because it hits you so damn hard. Mm-hmm. That's music. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And I, I seriously, I'm going to go ahead and do a shout out for the movie Monochrome because that it's a it it, it hits you on several levels. It's, a, you know, a, a, son, a father and son that have not spoken to each other and the father's dying and, and, and all of the ramifications around that. And and the father's a real jerk, you know, so. You know, yeah. And it but it it's humanity. It's who we are at our core as human beings. And that is what music to me is about. I don't care if it's good rap. I love it. You know, rock and roll. I love it. Blues. I love it. I mean, you give me music that touches me. I'm going to listen to it. Of course. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to emote. It's supposed to make you feel something. If it doesn't, we need to go back and try it again. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, I'm not saying you should cry at every song, but you should just you should be happy. You should be crazy. You should want to go get a beer and drink. You should want to go cheat with your neighbor, whatever it is. (laughs) If it's a really good country song, you want to steal your neighbor's pickup with his wife and his dog and drive out to the levee and have as many children as you possibly can. This is good country music. Yes, it is. And and, 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 and that's that's good. Uh, Janice Joplin. Did Bobby McGee better than Chris did? Oh yeah, yeah. Kathy Klein did crazy better than than oh, Billy did. Better. I mean, much better. I mean, you know, there's just you know, some people. There's a song they didn't write, but they got it. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know. This this newer generation doesn't even know Dolly Parton wrote "I Will Always Love You," but Dolly they connected, wrote, yes, they yeah, connected. they connected to Whitney Houston. Whitney um, Houston, and it's you know, beautiful. 
Dolly wrote it when she was leaving uh, Porter's show and she was going out on her own and she wrote it for Porter. And it was, it was not a, it was not a love. It was not a love story. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I'm sorry. I know this hurts you, but I need to do this. And, and it was just amazing. I remember when she did it then, and then she did it again later in uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. She, on that soundtrack, she did it again. And then Whitney did it. And this entire generation was like, Oh, that Whitney Houston song. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm not knocking Whitney Houston because the woman no, no. had she an amazing she voice. Yeah, how but, many octaves could she, what, eight octaves, 11, yeah. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But when you listen to Dolly do that song and the cry is in her voice, yep. that's the yep. that's the emotion. So that's one where the writer got it right. But then you have others that, like you said, I working for the Hall of Fame, I got to sit in the archives and I had to do a lot of research on a lot of the albums. We won five Grammys while I was there uh, doing production on, on like reissues. Mm -hmm. And so I heard Willie's original version of Mm -hmm. crazy, crazy, crazy. If I feel it's a lonely, it's like, holy crap. How did, how did she ever get there? where she did? And that was, you know, kudos to Owen Bradley because Owen took it and he said, you can do this. You know, you can can make this your own. Well, she was a wonderful singer anyway. So we're almost out of time. I've enjoyed myself so much here. Is there anything that you would, one last word you'd like to leave our audience with? One thing that you really want them to know about you or about music or whatever you, life? I don't care. Well, I think probably the the thing that I can say, because I'm getting longer in the tooth all the time and you're starting to, you know, as life starts to uh, catch up with you. I've said it before, you know, we start rolling downhill the moment we're born, but, um, it's, uh, the fact is we get older, that hill gets steeper. Um, so we roll a little faster. Um, I want everybody to understand that, that, you know, this, this world, it doesn't make any difference who it is, what it is. This world is based in love and it needs to stay in love. And we need to, we need to love each other at all costs. And so when we sit here and we create love that, listen to it, Go out and support that. Go to your local bar. Get on right now. The biggest thing for any artist right now as an independent artist is trying to get their music out there on the internet. Listen to it. Go to YouTube. Go to iTunes. Go whatever. Listen to this stuff. And if there's an opportunity, don't steal it. Download it. But you know, pay that that thirty five cents or that ninety nine cents for that song if you really love it. If it's one of those songs that just knocks your hat in the creek, go ahead and pay that artist because that's all they're going to get out of that. And they're not getting the 99 cents. They're getting about two cents of the 99. The rest of it goes to the other organizations that run the site. So it takes a lot of money, a lot of downloads, a lot of sales to, to line their pocket. So do everything you can. And, and, you know, love your fellow man, you know, listen to their fellow music, you know, whatever somebody's playing, um, dig rocks, uh, dig good music. Uh, and, you know, Support each other anytime you can. It's just like you doing what you did for me on this and, and Heidi Lee Holt getting us put together and everything else. That's that's friendship. That's sisters helping a brother out. I mean, that's all everybody together. So That's all we're here for. Um, and if we don't get that, seriously, every little thing that we do that helps another person helps ourselves. The, the more I can do for you or Heidi or Joe Blow or whatever, the more it helps me. If you have a platform or if I have a platform or anybody has a platform to make that statement, use it and use it to, to help somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
I hope we uh, meet again. If I show up in Tennessee, welcome, welcome me in. I don't drink sweet tea, by the way, but <laughs> welcome me in. And I, I'll be glad to sit out on the stoop with you and uh, drink a beer. We'll do it. All right. Susan, thank you so much for this. Thank you. And folks, remember, no matter what you do as you go through your day, the most important thing you can do is to keep on dancing.